Hello, it's Charlotte's sister, C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and GNF Financial Group. Good afternoon and welcome to Powered by Age. It's Thursday, January 13th, and you are going to be joining us for kindness and gratitude focus today. We're going to be listening to uh, poems that have been written. We're going to be sharing some ideas on what we might do as acts of kindness in this era of pandemic, disappearing, dis distancing, confusion, and we are welcoming those who may not be here at our planning session, but listening and sending email, you can send still ideas on what you'd like to start now as an ongoing act of service for someone who is shut in or someone in your community who could really use an act of kindness. And I want to gratefully acknowledge that our podcast and work takes place on the unceded homelands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salewatus people. Today, we're going to start with some poetry related to kindness or related to gratitude. We're going to be hearing Dr. Martin Luther King's famous speech, not as famous as the dream speech, but the drum major instinct, which is related really to serving and being kind to others and hearing what people's opinions or our thoughts are on that speech. Without further ado, I'm going to let those who are co-presenting today introduce themselves. Yeah, my name is Leslie, and I live in New Westminster, BC, and I write poetry and short stories, flash fiction and travel memoirs. I'm currently writing a memoir of a trip I took to Japan a few years ago, which I'm hoping to publish as a book. Hi, my name is Neil Ryan, and this is my book, From the Other Side. And there's some poetry for you, freebie poetry at from the other side.ca. I have uh, put up a few of my poems so that if you like it, you can come and buy my book. And uh, I write poetry and short stories and uh, just just a happy camper. And what do you have to share? I, Neil always has a new poem uh, every week, but today he's doing something he's never done before. Yeah, I'm going to read a poem from, uh, I'm just loading it up here. Uh, I don't have to do it right now, but I want to give you the information. And that is that there's a, a cosmologist and uh, an astrophysicist. Uh, her name is uh, Katie Mack. She's a PhD. She's also just been appointed as the chair of the the technical physics and the inaugural hawking chair in cosmology and science communication at the Perimeter Institute, which is a very, very prestigious uh, organization. And she's written a poem called Disorientation. Disorientation. It's a hard one. Anyway, Charlotte, are you wanting that now? Are you ready? I'm going to screen share something. I can go to the screen share while you're getting it up or? No, I'm old. I'm, I'm looking at it. All right, let's go. <laughs> A poem by Dr. Katie Mack, PhD, cosmologist and astrophysicist called Disorientation. I want to make you dizzy. I want to make you look up at the sky and comprehend, maybe for the first time, the darkness that lays beyond the effervescent wisp of the atmosphere to the endless depths of the cosmos 
Desolation by Degrees. I want the earth to turn beneath you and knock you off balance, carrying you eastward at a thousand miles an hour into the light and then into the dark and into the light again. I want you to watch the earth raising you up to meet the rays of the morning sun. I want the sky to stop you dead in your tracks as you walk home tonight because you happen to glance up and among the shimmering pinpricks of light, you recognize one of them as the light of an alien world. I want you to taste the iron in your blood and see its likeness in the rust red sands of the long dry dunes of Mars, born of the same nebular dust that coalesced random flossum and stellar debris into rocks, oceans, and your own beating heart. I want you to reach into your consciousness and cast it outward beyond the light of the other suns to expand it like the universe, not encroaching into some envelope of emptiness, but growing bigger, unfolding from inside itself. I want you to see the world from four billion miles away, the tiny glint of blue in the sharp white light of the ordinary sun in the darkness. I want you to try and make out the boundaries of your nation. And from that vantage point, you fail. I want you to make yourself nostalgic for the stars long dead the ones that fuse into your carbon atoms and the ones that the last thermonuclear death throws outshone the entire galaxy and send a single photon of light into your eyes. I want you to live forward, but see backwards, see farther and deeper into the past because in a relativistic universe, you don't have any other choice. I want the stale billion-year-old starlight of a distant galaxy be your reward. I want to utterly disorient you and let you navigate back by the stars. I want you to lose yourself and find it again, not just here, but everywhere in everything. I want you to believe the universe is a vast, random, uncaring place in which your species, our world, has absolutely no significance whatsoever. I want you to believe the only response is to make your own beauty and your own meaning and to share it while you can. I want to make you wonder what is out there? What dreams may come in waves of radiation across the breadth of an endless expanse? What we may know given time and what splendors there are that we might never, ever, ever reach us. I want to make it mean something to you that you are in the cosmos, that you are of the cosmos, and that you are born from stardust, and to stardust you will return. I want you to see it through you. The universe can be in awe of itself. As of June the 1st, Dr. Mass will be joining the Perimeter Institute as the Hawking Chair, an amazing lady still young and got many, many years of contribution left, I hope. Yeah, that was an amazing poem, Neil, that speaks so much about living in the moment and, and living in the experience of the now. And, yeah. you know, this, uh, there was one sentence that struck me, uh, to be struck by awe, but something, you know, that's really every day. And sometimes I find myself doing that, you know, I'll catch a glimpse of a mountain with the sunlight on it or something, and it's just, just takes my breath away. 
You know, it's those moments that we live for, I think. And, and I think that's our job, is that we need to recognize that the universe truly is awesome. It is almost incomprehensible. And we get stuck in these mundane realities called, oh, this is my life. But, but, but I'm much greater than that, not egotistically so, but... But, you know, I, I can look at, I love your analogy of the mountains. I mean, I, I can see Mount Baker from my from sitting right here. There's Mount Baker over there. And so that, that's, this, this is an awesome place to be. Could you tell us her name and the name of the piece, the work again? Her name is Katie Mack, and the piece, and I know I stumbled over it before, but I, I, I do, do my best here, is that the, um, she is the chair of the theoretical physics, physics at the Perimeter Institute, and I know that to be very prestigious. And she's just recently received her PhD, and her name is Katie, Dr. Katie, K-A-T-I-E-M-A-C-K, -A -A, a PhD in cosmology and astrophysics. And did and the, the poem, poem have a, a, a name, or is it an essay? No, no, the poem is Disorientation. Disorientation. And uh, I... I, I, she puts it right out front. I want to make you dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> what I, a way that I saw that particularly related to kindness when she said, you know, you look deep inside and live forward and see backward. And if you have that kind of perspective, you'll see things that you can do along the way to make the world beautiful, expose other people. Because if you're loving yourself, then it's easier to share love with other people. Absolutely. And in fact, it's the only job we have to do in this lifetime is to learn to love ourselves unconditionally. Yes. Um, Leslie, did you have a particular poem? Um, I've got a selection of three. They're all very short. Uh, but maybe I'll just go through them one at a time. Um, the first one is about optimism, about hoping that things can get better. It's called hope. Forget yesterday, the misdirections and mistakes, the barbs and the bitterness. Pay the piper and be on your way. There is a glimmer on the eastern horizon, a shimmer, a glow of light. The dew forms tears on every blade of grass, tears waiting for the light yearning to be kissed by the sun, promising to fracture the brightness into a million tiny rainbows. And I think if we have that hope, we can go forward and feel that we can be kind, I think. Um, I have two that I think I can relate more to kindness. Uh, the first one is about kindness to nature. And it's based on a, an interaction I had in my backyard with a raccoon. I hear a rustle in the garden. There you are, so close I could reach out and touch you. An American bandit hiding under the elderberry, magic tree of ancient Europe, watching with deep, dark eyes, pools of sadness, survival, wisdom. I throw you a tomato. You sniff in disdain of handouts. Calmly, I speak. You have nothing to fear as we share this space, this garden. You are welcome. We coexist. And shortly after that, uh, the little bandit followed me into the kitchen. <laughs> and then I had to yell at him to get out of the house. <laughs> And the last one is about kindness to ourselves, about loving our inner child. 
Okay, this one's called Inner Child. I find you on the roof, sleeping on a bench. It is dawn and you are blue. Your hair frostbitten from surviving the night without warmth or love. You are light as I lift you in my arms, a feather child cradled in my arms as I carry you towards the fire. Mm. Very, very, very nice. Uh, I, 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 I like that last one that doesn't separate from you, doesn't make it a separate creature, doesn't it? I find you on the roof. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's inner child, you know, it's, it's our own self, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, so many of the thoughts and things that have been written about kindness are around taking time to feel yourself, taking time to know where you are, walking in nature and observing, you know, the planets and thinking about the blood. And who, how often do we think about the analogy between our blood and the red dust on Mars or the planets? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really, uh, at this time in particular, a lot of people focus on our being inside and being lonely, but really inside there is a time to really reflect on that inner child, as you said, and do the inner work and the, uh, the inner love that strengthens us to reach out to others. Well, speak, speaking of reaching out to others, I, I want to offer another poem, this one written by myself. It's called It's Only a Dollar. I like that one, Neil. <laughs> it's only a dollar. He tossed out the words. He tossed the words out as he passed me by. It took a millisecond to cross the space between us as if he had thrown them at me. He tossed the words out draped in disdain as if he was throwing something away along with the words, it's only a dollar. The meta message and body language conveyed his scorn for such lowly money. He was young and healthy and had a job and contempt for the unimportant. I had just passed two beggars sitting on the sidewalk around the corner on 6th Street asking for spare change. The speaker may not have noticed them, or may he have, but he needed to look at this beggar, that the beggar man who was offering his passerby a gift, the opportunity to feel compassion not by giving him or her money, but the opportunity to recognize the humanity in the beggar man, for he or she had been loved as somebody's child, somebody's lover, somebody's parent, somebody's parent, who have been defeated some way, some when, somehow. They are not broken people but have taken on the role of the beggar offering a gift, the gift of an opportunity to experience compassion for our own humanity. For let us not pretend that we wish it were not so, but we all need compassion for the wounds that we carry. For to be a human is to be hurt in some way, some when, somehow, wounded by life itself. The beggar needs to be thanked for taking on this difficult role in this lifetime, thereby giving us the opportunity to learn compassion for ourselves. And that's a bargain. After all, it's only a dollar. It gives such a different insight into looking at that opportunity for compassion rather than having disdain or rushing by, but that for just a dollar, for just the change, what you have, that you are getting this opportunity to have compassion, not only for that person, but for yourself. Leslie, you were saying something. Yeah, I heard you read that poem many, many times, and it gets me every time. <laughs> yeah. That is actually an honor to give. 
And I don't think we think about that very often. We never think that way. Really. It's kind of like an impossible dream, which is the song we're going to listen to and reflect on right now. What was the answer that Jesus gave these men? It's very interesting. One would have thought that Jesus would have condemned them. One would have thought that Jesus would have said, you are out of your place. You are selfish. Why would you raise such a question? That isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He, he said in substance, oh, I see. You want to be first? You want to be great? You want to be important? You want to be significant? Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. Yes. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. And he transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know how he said it? He said, now, brethren, I can't give you greatness. And really, I can't make you first. This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism, but by fitness. And the right hand and the left are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something that we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral, and I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you around, when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall. I want you to be able to say that day 
that I didn't try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody... As I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word of song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side. Not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side. Not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition. But I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth. What a powerful man, speaker that man was. And Dr. King gave that speech on February 4th. 1968 um, to at the pulpit of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, and it was two months before his assassination on April 4th of 1968. But I think that while so many people remember the importance of the I Have a Dream speech, uh, speech, that this is one that can be anchored into our hearts also as being more concerned about what we do for others. Like this uh, when you were talking in your poem about the raccoon <laughs> feeling so comfortable, he followed you into his house. <laughs> and then you didn't say you got a broom to beat him out. <laughs> it's just you were kind to to him. Uh, what are you doing here? And he turned around <laughs> and ran away. <laughs> uh, because throughout different spiritual teachings, religious teachings, one of the things that's central is being kind to others and being able to reflect on what you do to the least of these. And I think uh, that's one of the things that we were generating ideas for in terms of there was a kindness month in November, but because a lot of people didn't get to do what they were going to do, they rebooted it to be <laughs> in January. So uh, what are some of those simple things within a walk or within your life that you could see as ways of doing a kindness to someone? I think it's just, uh, it's just a way of being towards others. Mm. Um, trying to see the other person's point of view. And um, I think it's a matter of intention rather than specific actions. I think if the intention's there, the actions will follow, right? Yeah, the King family prevailed on, well, not, not just the King family, uh, Stevie Wonder, a lot of people uh, protested, went to jail, fought to get uh, this, the 17th of January as Martin Luther King Day. And the reason for the holiday, what the King family asked is that that be a day of service. It's not done so much in Canada. A few places people, you know, carry that out. A few places they take the holiday, but it is a federal holiday in the U.S. But uh, people would think about things like painting a neighborhood center or making bag lunches or helping the people who make the bag lunches, just looking for things, simple things that could be done that instead of saying, oh, somebody should fix that door or somebody should do this, uh, organizing people, whether it's in your family, a club you belong to, or whatever, to do something intentionally to help. Did either of you hear on the news uh, about the potatoes? The man, Prince Edward Allen, 
uh, has all these potatoes that they bagged up and they can't be exported to the U.S. And so they were worried about having to let people go or that they would rot. And somebody heard it on the news and bought 50,000 pounds of them and had them shipped to Montreal where the food bank was food banks were running low on food. <laughs> and so they were saying, the food bank people saying, this is a miracle because we really didn't have enough for the extended increased number of people who are coming to the food bank. And uh, because this person, you know, paid for the paid for everything involved in sending the, that, that tonnage. And, uh, you know, it's kind of thinking out of the box ways that we hear something, hear a thing and are in a position to do something you know, but I, I I just like to interject an idea, and that is that I love what Leslie said, and that is that it's the attitude that whatever's right in front of you that you know needs to be done. That's what you do, and it yes. isn't just sending fifty thousand pounds of potatoes to Montreal. That's very very nice and very very good, but it's also very irrelevant. It's having an uh, having a, uh, a a place to come from inside that says, "I want to be of service. I w w want to to I want to love people by loving myself and doing what is right in front of me to do." And he had an opportunity to send fifty thousand pounds of potatoes. Good for him. That was an opportunity for him. But it's having the attitude, not the action, because the, uh, out of the attitude comes the action. Uh, I love what you were suggesting, Leslie. It's that I, I want to come from that place every day, every day, every day. Right, which was kind of, you know, Dr. King's perspective as well as whatever you do, being able to be of service, you know, focused a lot of attention on organizing people. But before organizing people, you know, he was working with children, working with people, helping people not to feel feel afraid and helping people to appreciate uh, the culture, appreciate even the art, the rightness of things. And if you recognize the rightness for yourself and you you say, you know, it's not the numbers of people that came down to the South that came to Kansas City, came to other places uh, to stand in line, putting themselves at risk. They had looked at just a simple act of, of saying that's not right. Um, there are a lot of people who can't get on a bus or wouldn't travel, but wrote a letter. Uh, sometimes the thing that's right in front of us is making a phone call or just giving a smile because, you know, down many areas, every city has got people that are sleeping on the streets and there are people that come and bring tents and then there are people that just give a smile rather than looking away. Uh, I heard my you know, grandson said something about keeping a pocket full of change. And to people, a nickel isn't much, but if you have a pocket full of nickels or a pocket full of change, how appreciative it is when um, you put it into someone's can rather than just walking by because you don't have, you know, just walking by and looking at them in disdain. That thing of looking within ourselves to give hope or to give love. He emphasized the word love a lot. So from self-love, that ability to give love through a smile, a handshake, or just saying, what can I do? Um, some people have more that they can do financially than others, but the attitude, the willingness to look inside and say, I have the ability to love someone else. I feel good enough. I feel empowered enough within my life to make life better for something, whether it's an animal, a person, or a situation. I, initially, I was, you know, when you do screen share, sometimes the things you want to share first, I was going to play uh, the impossible dream because when those some of those characteristics that Neil was reading uh, about Dr. Katie's work, some of those things seem impossible to people. You know, they just say, oh, it's impossible. I've got too much, too much, too much. And so this song, maybe this time I will be able to screen share it first, uh, is a beautiful anchoring of that uh, impossible dream. You can talk among yourselves. Yes, talk among yourselves. <laughs> I bring it back up 
uh, into my... Well, while she's finding it, I have a quick little poem. Wonderful. It's called The Courage to Fear. It takes courage to allow the fear so that the truth can be felt. It takes courage to speak so the truth can be heard. It takes courage to heal so the truth can be seen. I speak because the words need to be spoken. I speak them with impassioned heart force. I speak them out loud to be heard by humanity that is common to us all. The, com the commonality to everyone in this world is that we are imperfect and impermanent. Within each of us is the spark of recognition to this commonality that is felt within the hearts of all. For the moment we recognize our humanity, we will connect with love as a reward for our courage. We will never be alone when we reach out with love, which begins with the courage to allow the fear. End of poem. What kind of fears do you see that helping us to overcome? Everybody has their own fear. Everybody is shares the commonality to everyone in the world is that we are imperfect and impermanent. And if I go to the place where, where the other poem that is called wholeness, we are born into a world of conditions and judgments. Behave and I will approve of you, misbehave and I will withdraw my love from you. There's a fear right there that we all share. Yes. The world manipulates us through the application or denial of love, separation from wholeness, and the certainty of unconditional love is the existential wound that we all carry. And stick approach, compounded by our lack of knowledge on how to love ourselves unconditionally. That, by the way, is a poem called Wholeness. Mm -hmm. That we are, we, when we are, the loneliness is a wound we carry, a psychic wound sense of loss that resides within each of us, a sadness that arises from the loss of the wholeness we once knew, because life in the womb, will, life in the world will never be as satisfying as life in the womb in the uterus where we all, where all our needs were met. That separation from the wound at birth is humanity's common trauma. Thank you for letting me share my poetry <laughs> ad hoc. <laughs> but the thought, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking and even talking with people about this constant reset to where we get happy and think we're going to have the human contact again. And then you know, no, we have to stay away and separate. Do you think, what kinds of things do you think we can do to, to heal that wound of repeated separation, a repeated notion, other, you know, human beings are, are dangerous, other human beings might make you sick. What can we, is it partly, I mean, I think part, partly writers, poets, singers, provide part of the way because it's a connecting it's a human thing that's connecting but what else do you think will help us with that trauma of this long repeated separation uh to know that eventually it's going to end yeah. you know i've been working with people at the cancer clinic and in other modalities of, uh, for, for many, many years. And the one thing that is the, is the source is that poem about it's the source of is the courage to deal with our feelings 
all by ourselves because nobody can give us. I uh, even with all my cancer patients, and I could see the some of the sources was the traumas that that people had experienced. And you can never give that to anybody because we all have to have the courage to say, "Hey, I've had enough of this. I'm going to change it." And here's how I can conceive of changing it. You know, having a, a a different look at the beggar man on the street, where you see him not as a down and out, you know, the, 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 they're a vulgar human. No, they're not. They're in need of love and had developed a methodology of trying to keep the love away because it terrifies them. Somewhere inside they are the fear. I have a poem that one of the lines in the poem says is that I choose not to, to love because love always goes away. You know, everybody's trying to do their best all the time. And yet we don't recognize that, that everybody, even the drunk drunk on the corner, I had a, 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 I call him a friend, but I rarely saw him sober, that he used to be on the street as a beggar man. And But one day he said to me, you know, he says, you give me more by calling my name than by giving me a dollar. Mm -hmm. What a person. Yeah. What a wonderful thing. I called his name. I said... Oddly enough, at this moment, my, his name escapes me, but, but I remember, remember, I said hello to him and how are you today? And he said, you know, you gave me more by calling my name, that I recognize him as a fellow human being. And, and, and that goes back to Leslie that says, because I have an attitude that says, I probably wouldn't speak to the queen, but I, because I, I, I don't like the idea that anybody thinks they're better than me because we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And look what her favorite son, Prince, is up to his ass in trouble. Yes, for sure. Um, okay, I'm going to try again to get <laughs> the impossible dream. Uh, dream, the impossible dream. <laughs> Don't sing. <laughs> no, I think it would be a good way to end the show today, actually. It would be the perfect finale, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shoot. Well, screen sharing started. Oh, something's happening. I, I, there's a part when you screen share that you have to activate... Um, the voice for it mm. to play. There's two little yeah. buttons. Zoom has all these little buttons as if everyone has got Superman eyes. Mm. Up and I've just okay. been chattering away here so you don't get radio silence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this should be it. I don't want the commercials. Leslie, you know where I got that saying that says you can talk among yourselves was a was a radio announcer on the on the the port the PLO radio down on jazz radio and oh, yeah. he was, and he one day he was fiddling with his equipment doing <laughs> putting on a, a a record and and he said you can talk among yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing you don't need is that. You've got people listening. You don't want silence, right? So. What's next? Hi, I'm Chris Hurt here. And if you're like most We're people skipping ads. We don't want to hear you, Chris Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear the impossible dream. All right. Yay. Finally. <laughs>
impossible dream to find the unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow and to unrightable wrong and to love pure and chaste from afar to try when your arms are too weary Unreachable star This is Lovely. Yeah, that, that, that there was a line in there similar to talking about when I come to the end of life, similar to, you know, Dr. King saying, just say, I tried to love somebody. Don't talk about all these things. <laughs> I just love that, you know, that, that uh, thing of this, it's, it's simple, the dream that you have. Some people, when you ask them what their dreams are, you want planes. <laughs> forms, you know, riches and whatnot, but just that simple thing to know that you've loved somebody, that you've loved yourself, that you've done something to help make the world a better place. And I, 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 I hadn't played it in a long time, but it was really, 
an excellent feeling playing it to myself, preparing and then listening to it with you all. Thank you, Charlotte. That was a perfect ending for today. Well, we'll be moving along with our courage to end. Um, hey. You talking to us or talking? I'm on, to I'm on Zoom for another minute and a half, so uh, I call you right back. No more than five minutes. <laughs> Neil sharing himself. Um, we want to remind you that uh, there is an opportunity to participate in Powered by Age. You can uh, contact me at pbaafc at gmail.com, Charlotte Farrell. Some have sent ideas in of things you'd like to see us do and hear, so we'll be working that into our schedule as we end out this month and go into the next month. Um, this is the 13th of January. Uh, the 15th is Martin Luther King's uh, actual birth date. And so I would just want to pay tribute and thankfulness to not only him, but all of the ways that he taught people to organize and to work together and to work for that arc of justice, the arc that pulls justice to the right. And in these crazy times, the things that you two have shared within poems, the need to go within, to not be afraid of those days when we're alone, but to look at that as an opportunity to look at ourselves, look inside and see all the beautiful things that are in there and that we're never really alone because spirit of the universe is with us. So thank you, Neil, for the poems and the insights. Thank you, Leslie. And we'll see you again next week on Powered by Age. Thank you, bye. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Neil. See you next week. Leslie, Leslie, thank you. Uh, I was so happy you were there today. You're so good. Well, and you too, Neil. I